This is what happens when you get a few years behind you. Um, love the song selection. Really good job. Thanks, Orazio. As you've heard me say several times, if you've been around very long, C.S. Lewis is almost right almost all the time. And uh, one, of my, one of the favorite things that Lewis said that, that I, it really resonates with me, I, I hope it resonates with you, he said, left to himself, mankind left to himself is a half-hearted creature. You've probably heard me say this before. Who is far too easily pleased. So we can just, you can just ask yourself right there where you are. You know, I guess the simple way to say it is, have you settled? Have you settled for anything other than a, a deep and profound and life-changing, eternity-changing relationship with your Creator and Redeemer. Because that's what you were created for. Everything else would fall under that. You were created to know, love, obey, pursue, worship, adore, treasure Jesus Christ preeminently. That's why God made you. And if you're a Christian tonight, it's why He redeemed you. Okay, there's no debate about this. If you're biblically literate, you understand what I'm saying. It's true. So have you settled? Are you pursuing some other temporal interests over and above Jesus Christ? It's like I tell you many times, it could be some legitimate interest, but if it's above Jesus Christ, it's not legitimate. Marriage is not above Jesus Christ. Children are not above Jesus Christ. Career is not above Jesus Christ. Comfort and security and the accumulation of prosperity is not above Jesus Christ. I think all of those here who, again, are literate biblically understand that that is true. To paraphrase the Apostle in Romans chapter 1, have you exchanged the glory of God for sugar-coated substitutes? As one theologian said, sugar-coated misery. Because if you've got even something that's legitimate in the wrong place, ultimately it will bring you misery because it cannot satisfy your soul. Only God can do that. Only God can satisfy the soul of mankind. So have you exchanged God for a little bit of sin? It's just you and God right there in the chair. Have you left your first love? Have you become distracted? Have you forgotten why He made you um, in His image, an awesome image of the awesome God? You know, I think Lewis said something else about you've never met a mere mortal because we all have this God image, even as, even as fallen men and women. There's this echo of the beauty and greatness of God. And we, we saw it, right? We, we just got through with the Gospel of John. This is true of all mankind. It, happened in, it began in the garden and it's been true ever since. But God has staged an intervention, right? He's come for us. He's come for us. We saw it again over and over and over in the Gospel of John. Inexplicably, we exchanged God for sin and inexplicably, He came for us that He might 
reconcile us to Himself. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save that which was lost, which includes every one of us. Amen? To save, I like, I like this, to save the far too easily pleased from being far too easily pleased. Now, I, I know I beat this drum some, but you know, your life is a vapor, man. It's a vapor. I know you're young and you're vibrant and you don't forget stuff like the old man and, and you know, your whole life's in front of you. I get that, but let me tell you, you'll be standing before God soon. Your life is a vapor. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it, beloved? It's up to you, man. It's up to you. It's all on you. What are you going to do with your life? It's all on you. That's a huge uh, blessing, but also a huge responsibility. It's a hu huge stewardship. What are you going to do with the life God has given you? Are you going to make much of Him or are you going to make much of yourself? And what's the most loving thing? And I think I've asked this a couple of weeks ago and I think, I think Bertha nailed it. What's the most loving thing God can give us? Not health, wealth, and prosperity, right? God giving, giving us Himself. And that's what He is doing and has done. So, if we know Christ, how could we ever really settle? It's an oxymoron. If we really know Him, if we've really met Him, how can we do it? How can we even begin to justify such a thing? Well, I know, you know, the whole world's going that direction, so maybe I should just follow along. You know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Just be a sheeple, right? Just, just be like a sheep, and not, not God's sheep, but, you know, the world's sheep. Just go with everybody else, because that's what everybody else does. Of course, every time you come in here, I remind you that's not who you are. That God has something much bigger for you. As I was preparing the sermon... And I, I didn't even tell you the text, did I? See, this is what happens when you get my age. Uh, Psalm 121. Open your Bibles or your electronic device to Psalm 121. Only eight verses. And as I was contemplating Psalm 121 this week, Psalm 117 came in my mind. That's why I read it to you at the beginning of the, of the service. I love Psalm 117. It's the middle chapter of the Bible. You all knew that, right? You scholars knew that. Psalm 117 is the middle chapter in the Bible. There are 116 chapters before, 116 chapters after, and it's perfect because the, 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 the chapter is calling us to what? Praise God. I think it's, it's a perfect middle chapter. Praise God! That's why you're here! <laughs> right? Not just with your lips. Anybody can do that. Jesus condemned the Pharisees. For loving God with their lips, it's not about lip service. God, not only does God not is not interested in that, He hates that. So it's not about lip service. God calls causes calls us to praise Him because He is trying to shore up some self esteem problem He has. Is that it? No. Is it about His need or is it about your need? You know, I've told you this many times. When God calls us to praise Him, well, actually, when He commands us in the, in, in the Psalms over and over and over again to praise Him, what is that? Does anybody remember what that is? Yes, it's a command. Does anybody else remember what that is? You've got to remember this, man. I don't want you to ever forget this. Write this down. Even if you're too religious to write in your Bible, write this down. What is the command of God to praise Him? What is it? You've got to know this, man. 
It's an invitation to enjoy Him. That's what it is. That's what it is. Praise is the consummation of joy. It always is. We praise our, our spouse. We praise our, our children. We praise the, you know, the hike in the mountains. It's just the consummation of joy. So when you see God commanding you to praise Him, accept the invitation. Accept the invitation. God doesn't have a self-esteem problem. He doesn't need your praise. You need to praise God. You need to learn to praise God with every fiber of your being. I always like to remind you of that on occasion. So, I exhort you, settle no more. Go for God. This week, just start. Tomorrow morning. You're going to pray about it tonight. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to make much of God. That's who I am. That's what I do. I'm a Christian. Right? I'm here to be. Why has He left us here? Tell me. Why, why are we still here? So He can make us healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. I don't think that's right. Why are we here? To be His witness. So, the question is, you call yourself a Christian, the question is, are you His witness? If you're not His witness, you're not a Christian. You're not following Christ. We are here with one simple job description that is to witness. So, I challenge you as we start to get into the psalm here to incarnate the praise that God has commanded you to give Him. Incarnate it. That's what He's really talking about. Again, we're not just talking about the lip thing. We're talking about a whole life. So how I love my spouse, how I love and discipline my children, how I prosecute my job, how I you know, surf the internet. It's all about God. You know, I've told you a hundred times, you know, the asteroid on the far side of the cosmos is about Christ. That's how you're supposed to interpret life. You know, the, the amoeba under the rock in the deepest part of the ocean is about Christ. It's about the glory of Christ. All the created order is about the glory of Christ, and certainly that includes you in your life, right? <laughs> it absolutely does include you. So, it's the core meaning of Psalm 117, the, the Bible in general, and the whole cosmos. God is in the business of bringing glory to His name. And you're supposed to be participating in that. God is passionate for His glory and He is passionate for your joy. That is not two things. That is one thing. Okay? It's one thing. Because when God is passionate for His glory, He is passionate for your joy because His glory is your ultimate joy. Some good theology there, so I just wanted to, to share that with you. It's a biblical fact. Old Testament, New Testament, God always acts for the sake of His name. The songs are perfect. He always acts for the glory of His name. 
and for the joy of His people. It's how Jesus could legitimately say this to His followers. Okay, now I want you to listen. I just picked some, some verses. Jesus says, My people will leave houses. They'll leave brothers. They'll leave sisters and fathers and mothers and children and farm for My great name. Actually, what He says is My name's sake. If you want the references, I'll give them to you. Email me. Jesus says, My people suffer persecution and prison for My name's sake. Jesus said, uh, My people will be hated and persecuted by the Word for My name's sake. My people will persevere and endure and not grow weary, oh yeah, for My name's sake. How can we live like this? How can Jesus legitimately call us to be like this? Because God is our joy. And I simply can't leave off following Him because He is what I need. I must have Him. Even when it gets hard and dangerous and scary and it starts to cost a lot, I've got to have God. I've got to go with God. I need God. This is why Jesus can talk like this to His people. And it's why we have an ear to hear it. We know, if we know our Bibles and anything about church history, we know that the prosperity guys are lying. We know it's a big lie. We know it. We know it's a lie. We inherently know it's a lie. We viscerally know it is a lie. That's too small for the born-again soul. Too small. So, we can't be fooled in that superficial way. Our lives can never be about getting stuff once we've met God. It just can't be, beloved. It can't be. We can't settle for that. We cannot settle for that. So Psalm 117, all about true praise, enjoying God with all of our lives. I'm going to give you a few more verses. These are all biblical words. I'm not going to give you the text. If you want them, email me. I'll send them to you. These are all biblical words. This is how the Bible speaks to the believer. Okay? Listen. God says, My people, the lover of Jesus, is willing to suffer afflictions, hardships, distresses, trials, difficulties, rejection, poverty, loss, pain, Suffering, sorrow, sickness, tribulations, dangers, and martyrdom. Oh, guess why? For His name's sake. Beloved, this matters. This matters. It matters what it looks like, what your life looks like when you roll out of bed on Monday. It matters. It matters to God. This is what He's called us. Listen, most of us are never going to most of us are never going to suffer like the Apostle Paul or like the, 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 the 11 uh, disciples that were martyred. But we would because that's how much we love Him. And that's how much joy we have in the relationship we don't do these things because we're religious. We do these things because we love Jesus Christ. John Piper says it this way, it is costly to follow Christ. There are risks everywhere. 
The very risk is the means by which the value of Christ shines more brightly. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you take the risk, when obedience is costly, and everybody sees it, the beauty of Jesus, right, is magnified in the lives of those who observe what you're going through. So, we've talked about it many times. We've talked about it a lot last week, so I won't hammer it. But the trial is about the glory of God. The trial is about your growth. The trial is about your sanctification. The trial is ultimately about your joy. John 11. Just always go to John 11, right? <laughs> Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so what? He waited. That's why he, he waited because he loved them. He waited. And then he blew their minds and their hearts and their souls with an amazing act of divine power. So, when the storm comes, you're going to hear it in Psalm 121. Okay? That's what we're going to do. I'm going to get there in a minute. I promise. We're going to hear it in Psalm 121. The psalmist will say six times that God is our keeper. Right? So we can face the trial. We can face the persecution. We don't, we're not like a pagan in a crisis. We know what to do in a crisis. We get on our knees in a crisis. Right? That's what we do. And we turn and we look at God in, in, the, in the Word, right? And we are encouraged and we are emboldened. And, you know, as we talked about last week, uh, that great quote from Charles Spurgeon, we live in the anticipation of what God will do in our circumstance. Listen, you've got to learn anticipation, man. If you don't know anticipation, I don't think you can, you know, actually do the Word uh, very well. There's an anticipation in faith, right? I anticipate. I can't see how it's ever going to work for good. You don't have to see it. God is ordaining it and working it. Psalm 121, we don't know anything about this guy. But we can discern one thing. He's probably in a hard spot. It sounds a little bit like he is in a hard spot. Spot, but I want you to notice what he's not doing. He's not doing what you and I are prone to do most often, which is what? Whine and worry and complain and wring our hands, right? That's what we're prone to do. But this guy doesn't do that. You're going to see it. He turns immediately and he looks at God. Six times in eight verses, God's my keeper. Right? I'm invincible. Ultimately, no one can touch me lest God ordain it to be so. My God is my Father and He's omnipotent. And I'm bulletproof here. Right? I'm bulletproof in this circumstance. So, that's what we're going to see tonight. In the trial... The unbeliever, it's just a lot of wasted pain. As we've said many, many times, for the believer, we don't have a tear to spare. <laughs> God's in every one of them. We, we saw that great Psalm 56, 8 last week where God says, you have, David says, you have taken a, uh, account of my, my wanderings and put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? God is aware of every one of them. 
We saw the, the psalmist, and I think it's David in Psalm 42 last week, get the victory. He got the victory as he prayed through his difficulty. Let me just share an excerpt from Psalm 71. I'll get into the text. In You, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In Your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline Your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. You have given commandment to save me, for You are my rock and my fortress. It's what we're going to hear in Psalm 121, verse 1. Psalm 121, verse 1. Listen to the psalmist. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come. Again, most conservative theologians agree that uh, what he's talking about here, it's just it's uh, poetic imagery. He's looking to Jerusalem, which is to look to God. Okay? He's looking to Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, don't know whether the temple's been built or not. He's looking to God. He's looking to God. Where shall my help? From whence shall my help come from? He tells us. Verse 2. My help comes from what? Comes from where? The Lord. So, when you've wasted a day or a week or a month, Wringing your hands, right? Maybe you should consider 121.2. I'll look to the Lord. And listen, I, I tell you this because I know it's true. You're going to go through hard things. You will. This is part of living in this fallen, condemned planet. You will go through hard things. The question is, will you look at God or will you just wring your hands? These are your choices. <laughs> Look at God or worry. And part of what I want to say to you tonight is we don't want to obviously engage in worry. It's kind of a blasphemous thing to call yourself a believer and not do 121 too. It, it, it really is. Uh, you bring God down in the eyes of everyone around you when you call yourself a Christian and you're just doing this all the time, and you're just worrying about everything, right? It's blasphemous. You're casting a long shadow upon who God says He is. So we don't have to settle for conformity with the world. We don't have to be afraid. We can obey with glad, reckless joy because... The psalmist will say, God is my keeper. Beloved, this is our license. The fact that God is and God is our keeper, this is our license to do the hard stuff. To obey God in the hard place. What does he say about, his, what does he say about the, the Lord in, there, in verse 2? What, what is the thing that he takes solace in? Verse 2, what does it say? I will trust in the Lord. What? Who did what? He made everything! Right? And it was effortless! He spoke it into existence! So, 
Just to drive this point home, I have a visual aid. I know I never do this. Would you like to see my visual aid? Amy doesn't want to see it. Amy, please cover your eyes. I feel compelled to show this. Now, Blessing told me you guys were already aware that the Earth was round and that we had some other planets in the solar system. You guys already knew this, right? But God made the Earth. Next time. Next, next one. Oh, your helper, He made the Earth. Your helper made Jupiter and Saturn. You can see, where's the Earth? You can see how small the Earth is there. Next time. Oh, our helper made the sun. And you can see the earth right there. It's a little bitty dot. Our helper made the sun. Next time. I just like this picture. This is the sun, okay? I don't have anything to say except, wow, okay. Oh, our helper made Octurus, right? Now you can see our, you can see the sun there. You can see Jupiter's a little dot there. The earth is invisible on this scale. Our helper made that. Okay, next time. Our helper made Entades, okay? Now, look, uh, Jupiter is invisible at this scale, okay? Our God made this. Next time, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. Trillions of galaxies. That's, those stars are just in our galaxy. Next time. Yeah, there's that picture. And then, then the next one. Okay, there you go. Just a picture of the galaxy. You see why I love creation and I love minutia? It's an echo of the greatness of God. You know, as someone said, the cosmos, the infinite expanse of the cosmos is not a commentary on how insignificant you are. It's a commentary on how significant God is. Okay? That's what it is. So, and in Tades, Arazio knows this, in Tades is not even the largest star, known star. A star called U.Y. Scuti is twice as big as Intares. The God who spoke those into existence is your helper. He's not in want of any power. If there's any want in the relationship, it's in want of faith. And trust, no matter which way God goes with it, will you trust Him? You know, yeah, we don't name it and claim it around here. So whom shall I fear? Amen? Whom shall I fear? This is why Jesus fearlessly calls His people to leave houses, brothers, sisters, far, uh, fathers, mothers, children, and farms, suffer being hated, persecuted, in prison, uh, suffer or, or to uh, endure and not grow weary in the hard thing. He can legitimately call us to that. Because He is the God who effortlessly speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. Verses 3 and 4. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So we see verses 3 and 4, the first two occurrences of the word keep. Let me say this just so you remember. The psalmist uses the same Hebrew word six times in this psalm. In the New American Standard, the translation I use, uh, four, the, four of them are translated keep. One is uh, translated protect and the other is translated guard. God is my keeper. God is my guard. God is my protector. I shall not fear men. Nor circumstance. 
Listen, beloved, I'm trying to set you free, man. I'm always trying to set you free, right? Don't be faint-hearted. Be God's man. Be God's woman. Don't be faint-hearted. Be who God's called you to be. Do what God's called you to do. It's not hard. Well, let me say it this way. It's not complicated. It's sometimes hard. But it's not complicated. You can cut the thing. Um, so, thanks, Rohan. So you guys already knew about the planets, right? But you didn't know about those big stars, I bet. You knew about the planets. So, he protects, he guards. He is our keeper. I love that he says our foot will not slip. What's he talking about there? How many of you are familiar with the most famous sermon ever preached on American soil? Probably not. Probably not familiar. Um, July 8th, 1741, Enfield, Connecticut, United States of America, Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon centers in the hands of an angry God. And his text was Deuteronomy 32:35. Listen, vengeance is mine, God says, and retribution. In due time their foot will slip and their day of calamity will come. He's talking about what? He's not talking about a physical slip. He's talking about a spiritual slip, right? This is what he's talking about. In vivid and powerful and sobering images, Edwards drove home the point that mankind is living on the precipice, the, the, the precipice of the abyss. We live on the edge of eternity. Every moment we're on the edge of eternity. <laughs> yeah, it matters what you believe right now. You're on the edge of eternity. You may not get one more heartbeat. I may, you know, fall over dead here right now. It happens to old guys my age all the time, right? I could, it could happen. I kind of want to go that way, preaching. kind of want to go that way, but I'd like to make the conclusion first. But that would be quite an um, exclamation point, wouldn't it? Would be an exclamation point. Apart from Jesus, we stand in a slippery place, beloved. This is what the psalmist says. I'm secure. That's what he's saying. I'm secure. Man, I'm secure in God. I'm secure in my God. He's my guard. He's my protection. He's my strong tower. I looked up some other psalms. Let me just share them with you. If you want the references, I'll send them to you. The Lord has brought us into a broad place, Psalm 18. Into a level place, Psalm 26. Into a large place, Psalm 31. Into a pleasant place, Psalm 16. When I was first converted, I used to I'd go to lunch, I'd go buy me a hamburger, and I would go park under a tree at this lake near, near the office, and I would just read large swaths of the Bible, right? And, and um, I would sit there and, yeah... Asking God to free me up, man, because I was a, I was converted, but you know I was still afraid of everything, right? And uh, I was asking God to help me. And, uh, I used to listen to this old man. Uh, his name is J. Vernon McGee. He was on the radio, right? <laughs> he was a crusty old feisty guy and just an just an old preacher, you know. And I loved the guy, but he always opened his radio program with this song. Some of you will recognize it. How firm a foundation. You know this song? How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more could He say than to you? He has said to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled. Right? He's our rock. We stand on the rock. 
We will not slip. We stand on the rock. He is our firm foundation. So, what more can He say to you than He has said? Beloved, you, you just got to grab onto it and go with it. Believe it and do it. <laughs> it. What difference does it make what the world says? What difference does it make? It makes no difference. It makes absolutely no difference. God says, I will not allow your foot to slip. No one can snatch you out of my hand. We saw Jesus say that a lot in the Gospel of John. So the psalmist has a helper. He has a keeper. And did you notice? He never sleeps. <laughs> Our God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's a 24-7 God, right? Made me think of the, you guys know the encounter on Mount Carmel with the priests of Baal and, and uh, Elijah said, hey, you call your God on your God and I'll call on mine and whoever sends fire from heaven is God. And the, the priests, they, yeah, they yelled and jabbered and cut themselves and bled out for hours and hours and hours. And Elijah finally just, he said, hey, well, maybe he's on holiday. You know, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone aside. Let me call Jehovah. <laughs> you know what happened. The fire came down, man. Right? And uh, the text says, all the people fell on their face and they said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Your God never sleeps. He never slumbers. It's what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is, is saying, you know, I can trust this God. He's always, he's always on my case in a good way. He's always got His eye on me, right? I love this psalm. I mean, it'd be a good psalm to memorize, I think. I think it would really be good. Our God is no pretender. He's not on vacation. He stays up all night. And the Scripture tells us that God is not uh, passive in this. You guys know Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that He may strongly support those who, whose heart is completely His. And when I'm talking about this, I think I brought it up about two or three weeks ago, Psalm 23.6, Surely His goodness and loving kindness pursue me all the days of my life. As Eugene Peterson paraphrases that, God's beauty and love chase after me every single day. Verses 5 and 6, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun and, uh, will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. This is the third time God has said this in Psalm 121, He is our keeper. God means for you to hear it tonight and to make any adjustments in your life you need to make. If you're out there, you know, living some segment of your life, not acknowledging that God is your keeper and you're afraid and you're timid and you're, you can't take that next step of obedience, God means for you to be changed tonight. Okay? He's going to say it so many times. He means for you to hear it. He means for you to practice it. This is always what the Word of God is. This is not academic. 
This is not theoretical. This is you in the world doing it. It's always this, beloved. It's nothing less than this if you're going to walk with Jesus Christ. So, He sends the shade. No small matter in Middle Eastern climes, right? The sun that can maim and kill. There's also a connotation here of the shade, a connotation of refreshment, right? Don't you love it? Those times of refreshing with God, those very real, powerful times of refreshing, and He just visits you through the Word. and It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. By the way, this is the fourth, fifth, sixth time this Hebrew word is used for keep. It's translated various ways in the English. Sometimes protect. Again, sometimes keep. Sometimes guard. So, are you hearing the Lord? He is relentlessly making a point to you tonight. Relentlessly driving it home. Right? Will you live like your God speaks UI Scuti and two trillion galaxies into existence? This is a God who does whatever He pleases in heaven and earth. This is your God. So, part of this, beloved, is, you know, just don't go out there and live it small. Live it huge. With great expectation. You know, it's... Again, Spurgeon said last week, with anticipation of what mighty thing God will do. Yeah, you can take a risk for Christ. Of course you can. Of course you should. Of course you must take a risk. If you're called to it, do it. Don't rationalize it. We all know how to rationalize. We're all good at rationalization. Don't do it. Unless you just want to be a churchgoer. You know, if you just want to be a churchgoer, it doesn't matter how you doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So God is relentlessly driving this point home. And did you notice, I think He says here, um, the psalmist says, God will protect the true believer from all evil. What's He talking about there? Now wait a minute. Stephen was stoned. Paul was beheaded. The eleven were martyred. Um, if you read the book of Hebrews, they were mocked, stoned, scourged, uh, put to death by the sword and sawn in two. What's he talking about? Again, he's talking about spiritual preservation, right? We may fall. We, we know the Bible. We know church history. We may fall under the hands of evil men, but we'll stand and give testimony, right? <laughs> our God is our keeper and our foot will not slip. He will bring us through. He will, how does it say, keep our soul. God says, I will do it. So, as Christians, we definitely will suffer. Is it Paul to Timothy? All who desire to live godly will. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not, it's not if, it's 
win. But we will not die the second death. We will not experience the second death. Let me just read a text. This is for believers. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him. Now that's the promise, right? That's what he's talking about here. He will keep our soul. Our foot will not slip. It's a done deal. It's Romans 8. It's always Romans 8. It's a done deal. He's done it. You just got to believe He's done it and you got to believe He can step in when you obey in the hard spot. You got to believe He's your keeper. You got to believe He's your protector. Verse 8 is a poetic commentary on verse 7. God is with us in our... In, let, let me just read it. In our going out, in your going out, and in your coming in from this time forth evermore. So I just thought about this for a moment. In other words, in our birth and in our aging, in our flesh and in our spirit, in our goings and in our comings, in our private affairs and our public affairs, in our beginnings and our endings, in, in life and in death, in time and eternity, God is your keeper. <laughs> God is your keeper, man. You know, in the spiritual realm... This may not translate, but we're all Batman, okay? We don't have the cool car. But we... Let's use a bad analogy. I've already started one. But we, we are a superhero in the spiritual realm. If we live like this. If we believe this is true, and we embrace it and... We live it. <clears throat> so God says, I am your guardian God. I'm your keeper God. I'm your protector God. How long? Someone tell me the last word. Just tell me. What's the last word of the psalm? How long will God keep us? Tell me. Yes! <laughs> I'm going to say this in love. Shut up! Worrying when your God's this way. You know I said that in love, right? Karen's going to get on to me. She's going to get mad at me. Don't tell her, Bertha. I'm going to have to edit that off. Rod said, we got to edit that. But really, he says shut up to me all the time, okay? In a, in a God-to-His-Son kind of way, he does. Jim, shut up. I don't want to hear about that anymore. Be a man. Do something. But shut up. Okay, that's an excursus. We don't need to worry about that. But why can Jesus call His people to do these hard things? Because He's this way. Because He's the... The God of Psalm 1, 21. Jesus says, My people incarnate their praise of Me in radical obedience and in hard providence for My great name's sake. We do it. We do it in love. So we can, beloved, because Jesus Christ is the Creator of UI Scuti. He is our Keeper, our Helper, our Protector, our Guard. Whom shall we fear? So I'll close with this. Just one verse from Psalm 56. David says it perfectly. This, and this is what I want you to walk out with, okay? This I know. You know, believing, yeah, it's an important word, but it's a little bit, sometimes it's a little bit weaker than I know. It's not just I believe, I know. 
This is what God wants us to take, beloved. I know that God is what? For me! I know it. It changes how I live every day because I know it. Right? David continues, In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? So I ask you, do you know it? And are you living it? Listen, 121, Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Man, I praise God it's in the Bible. I praise God it's in the Bible. So, 